right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me is Nick Springer. Happy Friday. Hey. Yeah, it is Friday. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And Friday before pretty big game, I would say. Maybe. North Carolina Duke. Yeah, that's I mean, pretty huge Top game. 10 showdown. Yeah. Hey, is Duke in the top 10? I don't know. I think they are. No, Duke sucks. <laughs> yeah, so we're going we're gonna to be breaking down three hours top 10 wall game to wall coverage. Saturday. No, of course we're talking KU Houston today. Well, on the I show. forgot about that. Yeah. Top no 10 idea. showdown. The real game of the week. You know, yeah, the for North real. Carolina Duke. Eh, Dude, I do not Kansas care about Houston. North Carolina Boom. and Duke at all. <laughs> I mean, those both. Yeah, no. Pass. So uh, we we will be talking about it all throughout the show today. Graham Doran's going to hop on with us at 3.40. We'll talk a little KU women's basketball, game picks, KU game picks, Bill Self Audio, uh, the whole shebang throughout the show today. We are out a little bit early. We're out about 5.20, 5.25 for uh, switching over to high school basketball. we got Freeze Day basketball on the airwaves tonight. Girls playing at 5.30, boys a little bit after that against Aletha West. Nick will be on the call with Craig Hershiser. RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. And KU takes on Houston on Saturday. Pre-game starts at 1.30. Tip-off 3 o'clock right here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. First question, how important is the game? Oh, geez. I mean, it's it's very important. It's the most important game yet for KU. Brian Haney came in the studio yesterday and said uh, that this game was going to have an atmosphere significantly higher than what KUCon had. So it's, it's a huge game. You're playing a team in Houston that is coming from the American – where they've had great success, and they are by far your top threats to the Big 12, and they are definitely a national championship contender. This is a very, very special Houston team in terms of what they've done so far this season. They've been very, very good overall. And uh, this game is everything, because if you're Kansas, you win this game at home, and then suddenly you're pull even with Houston at that point, and then uh, you know the Big 12 race is really on. Mm-hmm. If you lose... Houston would jump to seven and two. You drop to five and four. You're two games behind them, kicking off your toughest stretch of the season. And really. you still have to play and, at and, Houston. Yeah. So, you know, we we had kind of talked about the idea of if you want to do the math, okay, you can go maybe eight and one at home, and you know, five and four on the road or four and five on the road. You get to thirteen and five, twelve and six. That's all fine and dandy. But if your one home loss is against Houston, that actually is worth significantly more than it would be if it was a loss against any other team that you're playing at home in conference play. Mm-hmm. Because then, at that point, if your one home loss is Houston, and then maybe you go on the road and lose at Houston on the road also later on in the season, but you win all the rest of your games, that might not matter. <laughs> because you would have been swept by Houston at that point. They'd have two games on you, and probably they're going to win the Big 12 regardless. So you really, really, really need to win this game uh, if you are want to be legitimately pushing for the Big 12 title by the time we get to the final weekend in February and into early March because Houston looks like a team at this point that 
I don't know how many more games they're going to drop. And if you lose this one, you're going to be banking on requiring them to drop probably multiple games. And you look at the other away games they have left after this Kansas game. They only have four more away games after this against Houston, against uh, Cincinnati, a team they're probably going to beat, against Baylor, against Oklahoma, and against UCF. Two of those teams, UCF and Cincinnati, are teams that they, they bludgeon every year in the American as it was. At Oklahoma, worst environment in the Big 12. And at Baylor should be tough. But the prob- the thing is, is you're probably going to be asking Houston to drop multiple of those games. Or you might be asking them to lose a game at home. Which, by the way, they have been dominant at home. So that's probably not going to happen. So you absolutely must win this game if you want to be in the Big 12 title race. I would even maybe go as far as to say, if KU loses this game, the Big 12 title might be done. Now, I understand you got Bill Self. He, he runs in February are very much possible. But the the crux of that issue, though, is you lose this game, even if you do go on a run, that might not be enough because Houston will have the will have a leg up on you and they're and they'll have you at home again later on mm-hmm. in the season. So I'm looking at DraftKings right now. It has updated Big Twelve title odds. Houston is minus one ninety. Then it's a big drop-off. You go to Iowa State, who's second in the Big 12 title odds at plus 500. Third in the odds is Texas Tech, who's plus 850. And fourth is Kansas, who is 10-1. to 1. Well, listen, I think that's just a reflection of what KU has left in their schedule. All I'm saying, though, is is that like an auto-fire? I mean, we've seen Bill Self do some pretty remarkable things in the Big 12. 10-1? to 1? That's pretty good. That is pretty good, pretty right? Good. If you but think, again, if you think they can win this game, if you don't win this game, I know the patented Bill Self February run may be all for naught. Correct. But if you do win this game, then that you're number in good shape. Might jump to like three to one or something. Yeah. If you win right? this game, then you're looking a lot better. Yeah, yeah. So this is, I mean, this is everything for the Big Twelve. This is not everything for the season. Kansas can lose this game and end up finishing third in the Big Twelve, and they can still have an awesome run in March, right? And they yes. can still be a really good team. But if you're talking about winning the Big Twelve, which you know, when, when you're Kansas, when you're a blue blood in general, it matters. And, and for Kansas, with how much success they've had in the Big 12 and with how important it is to winning the league, and, and because the Big 12 is the best league in college basketball, it means more to win the league. So, yes, it op- it absolutely does matter. And, yeah, if you lose this game, to me, it feels like, yes, I, I at that point would be like, they're not winning the Big 12, right? Right now, I'm sitting there like, yeah, it's not looking good, but they can still do it. And if you win this game... That's the first step to doing that. So, yes, this game is uh, very, very important when you're looking at that point of view and, and yeah. winning the Big 12 and possibly getting a one seed in the NCAA tournament because if you win the Big 12, you're going to get a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And just theoretically, the better seed you are, the better path you have. Uh, Yeah. Okay, Houston Scouting Report. So they are uh, number one in Ken Palm right now, number four in the AP poll. Yeah. This is like the best defense in the country, and it's not just the best defense – in the country, it's like by far the best defense in the country. We had uh, Kevin Flaherty on earlier this week, and he talked about how, because uh, I think going back right now, their adjusted defensive rating is 84.6. That would be the best since that 2018 to 2019 Texas Tech team that actually had a better rating there that went to the national title game. But when you, what Kevin said is, I think this one's actually better than that one because when you look at it, the difference between this Houston team to the second best team is wider. 
You look at Evan Miakawa's website on defensive BPR, the difference between Houston and second place Tennessee is the same gap as it is from second to 14th place to Mississippi State. So the difference between first and second is the same as second to 14th. You look at Ken Palm's website, the difference from Houston at an 84.6 adjusted defensive efficiency to Tennessee at 90.9, that's 6.3 points. That is the same difference if you go up to, let's see, Kansas State is ranked 25th. And they have a 5.2 difference with Tennessee. So the difference between Houston to second place Tennessee is wider than the gap from Tennessee in second to to, uh, Kansas State in 25th. Point being, this is the best defense in the country. This is maybe the best defense that we have seen in modern era college basketball. Or at least maybe since you would say the three-point line moved back. Um they are number one in adjusted defense efficiency, as I mentioned by a large large gap. Number one in effective field goal percentage defense. Number one in two-point percentage defense. Number one in block rate defensively. They are number two in steal rate defensively. They are number three in turnover rate defensively. They just do everything. They're even number eight in three-point percentage defensively, which we've had a lot of conversations the last few weeks. How much is that luck? How yeah. much is that this or that? They just do such an unbelievable job blanketing you that every shot is contested. They chase you off the three-point line, so that is a real number for them. Um, I mean, that that's the challenge you got to overcome. They, they've only given up 70 points or more in a game once all season, and it took overtime. Yeah, that just happened earlier this week yes. against Texas. Uh, that Texas scored 72, but yeah, to your point, it took overtime. They are elite at everything. And I kind of reflect back on the Iowa State conversation heading into that game. Iowa State was number one in the country in turnover percentage. And so the conversation was really nuanced and focused on, okay, Iowa State's number one in turnover percentage, so if you can just avoid turning the ball over, that's their calling card. They have a, they're pretty good in a lot of other metrics, but they're, they're you know average to above average in a lot of other areas. Really, the calling card was the turnover, was them forcing turnovers, number one in the country. Well, like you said, Houston is number two in the country. So you think, oh, okay, well, we got to worry about not turning the ball over. Oh, but they're also number eight in the country in block percentage, number one in effective field goal percentage, number one in two-point percentage, top ten in three-point percentage. So it's 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 not just that they have one thing that they do really at an elite level. They do about ten things at an elite level. So it, their calling card is not just great at forcing turnovers. Their calling card is great at forcing turnovers, great at two-point defense, great at three-point defense, great at rebounding, everything. So there's not one thing if you are game planning for them or if you're about to play them, there's not one thing where you can say, okay, listen, guys, if we don't turn the ball over, we should be okay to have a little bit of success. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's not how it works because they do all these other things so well also. So that is certainly going to be a big, big issue. The defense, I mean, it's been virtually impenetrable all season long. They didn't play the strongest non-conference schedule. The numbers have gone up slightly since they've gotten a Big 12 play, playing tougher competition, but, boy, they haven't gone up by much because the defense is really good. <laughs> so... Uh, they're just really, really physical, really, really aggressive. Uh, I will say this, though. The one thing that kind of jumped out to me, and I haven't obviously watched every game of Houston this season, the one thing that kind of jumped out to me is in terms of vertical size, mm-hmm. they are not particularly big. They they're long, though. Yeah, they're long. They have good length, but they're not tall right. in terms so, of so vertical Francis size. Francis is only 6'8". He's their main five, but he has a 7'4 wingspan. Yeah. You know? And then uh, they got the Tugler guy off the bench. He's only 6'7", but he has a 7'6 wingspan. Yeah. So, so but how you look in at. their starting lineup, they, they start three guards that are under 6'5". Yeah. So they are not a particularly, uh, you know, big 
in terms of vertical size type Yeah, maybe defense. we see more of the like Kevin McCuller post-ups. In this yeah, game. but what they lack in that, as you alluded to, they make up for with length, they make up for with athleticism, with aggressiveness, with toughness. And you would think, okay, well, you know, they start three guys that are under 6'5", and then their four and their five are 6'7 and 6'8", respectively. Oh, so maybe they shouldn't be that great of a rebounding team, and KU might have the advantage rebounding. <laughs> Wrong. They're also an elite rebounding team. In fact, they're top five in the country in offensive rebounding. So they are elite at rebounding. And even uh, if you want to reference that, you look back at the Texas game. They played Texas. They out-rebound Texas by 11, but it's not just that. They had four guys, four different players with eight rebounds in the game against Texas. What does that tell you? They are an elite team rebounding team. They, they, they rebound together. They are crashing the glass hard with not one guy, but three or four guys. And a lot of guys get rebounds. In fact, Jamal Shedd had eight rebounds. That was tied for the lead for most rebounds on the team against against Texas. So then you you know you think, oh, okay, well, Hunter Dickinson, KJ Adams, you should be able to have the advantage there. I wouldn't be so sure about that. So it's it's a very, very fascinating team. As you alluded to, Derek, probably the best defensive team in the modern era of college basketball in terms of what we've seen so far. And it's going to be an absolute slog uh, all game long for Kansas. Uh, and then on the offensive end, they really their two main guys are, are Jamal Shedd and LJ Cryer. Cryer is obviously a great scorer. Shedd is a great facilitator and great creator. Those two guys average over 15 points per game. But again, they don't need to score a whole lot when they know they can just hold teams to like 60 points. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're average. Average. What they're allowing for the whole season is 53 points per game. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, honestly, the, the best defense outside of... Like, if I were to go back, yeah, that Tech defense is really good. We've seen some other ones. But this would be the best defense I could think of since that 2015 Kentucky team. And if we're comparing those on paper, that Kentucky team had a 39.6, the one that was undefeated till the Final Four, that held Kansas to 40 points, the the Bill Self vodka water game. Uh, 39.6% effective field goal rate. This one's a 41.6 for Houston. But this one forces more turnovers, 25.4% turnover rate. That Kentucky team was at 21.2%. This Houston team has been uh, about uh, a little bit better of a defensive rebounding team. They've been about uh, three, four percentage points better in terms of defensive rebounding rate. They uh, both have been top 10 three-point defenses. This one actually ranks higher, even though the percentage is lower, does Houston in two-point defense. And the block rate is actually better for Houston. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that are kind of close between those two to show you just how dominant they've been. Yeah. The defensive rebound, as great as they've been offensive rebounding, the defensive rebound hasn't been, like, elite. They're still fourth in the Big 12, 133rd in the country. But I guess maybe that leaves things open a, a little bit there. Now, it is interesting because with the lack of, like, true size, even though there is the length, they haven't had to play, like, a ton of elite centers, which no. that becomes interesting here, especially because we've seen Hunter be so good at just shooting over top of guys. He holds the ball high and just flicks it in. Yeah, Really, I, I would say two elite centers come to mind on, on the schedule they've played. One is Deron Holmes, who he's having an unbelievable year for Dayton so far this year. He had 16 points against him. He was 6 of 10 on twos, so, like, that's solid numbers. It's not otherworldly, but it's not like he had a bad game. Dylan DeSue earlier this week had 14 points. He was 4 of 10 on two-point shots, so kind of same thing there. So maybe Hunter can still have a good game for KU on the offensive end of the floor. Um, the other thing that, that I will say about the defense, Houston is 361st in the country in assist per field goal made defensively. So what that means is that basically 65% of the shots that get made against Houston are assisted, which is a very high number. What does that tell you? That tells you that Houston does not get beat one-on-one. It tells you that you're not going to be able to iso ball them, right? 
And what it also tells you is that the one way that teams have been able to score on them is good teamwork when they pass the ball well, when they help other teammates get open for shots. And I will say that is the one thing that is yeah. good for Kansas because guess what? Kansas is first in the country in assist-to-field goal made rate at about 69.4% of the time. Yep. So I do actually wonder, there is a part of me that wonders if I, nobody is set up for success against the Houston defense, but if the Kansas style of play is best set up for it compared to other teams in the country. You no, know, I do think that's where Kansas has the biggest edge, and I'm glad you brought that up because you're absolutely right. I think when you look at Houston's defense, based off the numbers, it's hard to say that you feel confident about any team going up against that defense, but when you look at what Kansas does and when Kansas is playing at a high level, they play at a very, very elite level of team basketball on the offensive end, and that's when they've looked at their best on the offense, when they're moving the ball around. And I think they are they could be best equipped to possibly attack this Houston defense a little bit. To your point, Kansas first in the country in the, in the country in assists per made field goal at almost 70%, uh, which means that they have been very, very good this season at facilitating the ball. And listen, that number has not gone down. If you remember, we talked, and maybe we haven't talked about this enough, that number was around 70%, 71%, like five games into the season, six games into the season. And I think it was one of those stats where maybe we just kind of expected, okay, over the course of the season, that number will probably go down a little bit. It hasn't. It hasn't. It's stayed consistent. And KU has now played, of course, almost 20 games, and they still have that very, very high rate of, of assist, to, uh, assist to, to made field goals. So I do think that that is where this KU offense might have the best chance. But the question is, are they will they be able to get into a comfort level to where they can actually execute at that level, or is Houston's pressure and aggressiveness going to be so uh, oppressing that KU can't even get to that level of comfort to be able to run their offense effectively? That's my biggest concern. But I do think that that is the area where Kansas has the best advantage. And even furthermore, when you are really, really elite at something, really, really elite at something, you start to build this sort of mental thing where it's you believe you're unstoppable you believe you are impenetrable Houston has every right to have that mentality right now but what happens if Kansas is able to move the ball a little bit and get some nice cuts and is able to get some easy baskets on them what happens when that happens a couple times how does Houston respond mentally what happens when that happens and then all of a sudden the Allen Fieldhouse crowd is is, is going nuts right I would I'm very curious and I hope that Kansas can get off to a quick start in this game because I want to see what Houston's defense looks like if the pressure is kind of flipped on them. If KU is able to get into a comfort zone and be able to actually move the ball around and, and get guys open using cuts and whatnot and, and score some easy points, what that does to the mental psyche of the Houston defense. Because, again, when you're a defense that has not given up more than 70 points in a game in regulation the whole season, haven't even given up more than 65 points in a lot of games, you probably have an aura about yourself that you're thinking, man, these fools ain't going to score on us ever. Well, what happens when they do? And what happens when it's in Allen Fieldhouse and the crowd gets going? So I really, really hope Kansas can get off to a quick start. I think that'll be one of the keys is to get off to a quick start to just build some confidence, right? To just build some confidence because I think that's how it starts. Is you can, If you're Kansas, what you want to do is you want to build, turn one good possession into two good possessions, into three good possessions. You see what I'm saying? Build upon that. And I hope that Kansas is able to do that early to put some pressure on the Houston defense uh, because I think that would be really interesting to see what Houston does and how they respond to that. And then, of course, you add in the fact that it's Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, and uh, I, I think of the game two years ago, right? Kansas had just been blown out by Kentucky, and there were questions at the end of January. You turn the month of February when things start to get really real, 
And what did Kansas do in their second game of February on February 5th, the first Saturday game in February? They got up big early on Baylor, and they ended up winning 83-59. to And that was kind of the re-arrival moment for that team. We'll see if they can have that against Houston. I, I will say we haven't really mentioned much about the Houston offense so far, so yeah. we should probably at least mention a little bit there. They have... At the very least, like it's it's basically those three guards that that just great yeah. for them. Jamal Shedd, L.J. Cryer, Emmanuel Sharp. Uh, Shedd's averaging about twelve and a half. Sharp a little over twelve. Cryer about fifteen a game. So basically, collectively, they're putting up forty points per game from those three. All three of them can shoot threes. Sharp at thirty five percent. Cryer at thirty eight percent. Shedd is at about thirty six percent. And all of them are on solid enough volume. Um, the big men with like Roberts and Francis and Tuggler, they're more like hustle guys that will get points yeah. off offensive rebounds, off pick and rolls, off dunks and stuff like that. But those three guys are tough. And, and that'll be something interesting to me. KU plays a switching defense. Houston will play a lot of iso ball on the offensive end of the floor. I think this is going to be a game where they try to get the switches onto Johnny Furphy a lot, and whichever one of those three guards is being guarded by Furphy, they're going to go at, which means I think this is going to be a huge game for Fur on both ends. The, the one area that Houston has given up a decent amount of shots this year is from the corner from three, and they've shot uh, opposing teams have shot them at about 40% clip. Furphy shoots a lot of corner threes. I, I think Dewan Harris will be the biggest, I guess, important player for KU because he needs to do well in that matchup with Jamal Shedd. But outside of that, I think Johnny Furphy is going to have a huge hand in how this game goes for KU on both ends of the floor. Yeah, and I guess we haven't even really touched on the other main storyline of this game for KU is what is Kevin McCuller going to look like? What's his availability going to be? Is he going to be able to give Kansas 20 minutes but it's only 60%? Or is he going to be able to give Kansas 30 minutes at 70%? We It's, it's hard to say. Uh, so that's obviously could significantly impact how the, this game flows as well because suddenly, to your point, if it's if you're running out a lineup with both Furphy and El Marco starting, that's now two guys potentially that Houston could say, okay, we feel confident we can attack these young freshmen. Uh, so that would be something to be concerned about on the defensive end if you're Kansas. And then one other final point I just want to make about the rebounding. I think the rebounding is going to be probably the most important thing in this game. When you think about the way Houston plays, they play one of the slowest tempos in the country, bottom 10 tempo in the country. And they're very, very good at offensive rebounding. And when you are playing a team like that where they're going to take 20, 25, 26, 27 seconds off the shot clock every time they take a shot, and then on top of that you're giving up offensive rebounds, and suddenly you're having to play defense at one end of the floor for 45, 60 seconds of game time, that is a total energy suck for you and your team wasting that energy on the defensive end to where it's going to be even more difficult to score on the offensive end, number, number one. And number two, that's also one of the ways in which Allen Fieldhouse, the crowd, can be totally eliminated from the game. It's if you're giving up tons of second-chance opportunities and offensive rebounds to where Houston can just continue to just play the tempo that they want to play at, play the clock. It just, it'll drain KU's energy on the defensive end to where they're not, they're not it's, it's already going to be hard enough to score on the offensive end as it is. But if, the, if they have to waste so much energy guarding even longer at the defensive end, plus that's a great way to take the on-field crowd out of it, offensive rebounding I think will be critical in this game. Yeah, it's just the turnover battle or the uh, possession battle in general, the rebounds, the turnovers, all that stuff that Houston does well. And to the point about the tiredness, I, that is a concern for me because you're talking about uh, a, a much less deep team, a thinner team if you're yeah. KU, and it's it's the physicality that Houston plays with you know, it might not matter as much if, if Kevin McCullough or Hunter Dickinson are playing 34, 35, 36 minutes uh, against a team who's less physical. Yeah, This is going to wear on you. This oh, is going to sure. grind you out. So you oh, wonder is, if Houston has the edge down the stretch. <laughs> this is going to be a war. Yes, it is. Absolutely. So uh, buckle your chin strap. Uh, Kansas wins if what? Yeah, I think Kansas here. wins if they play through Hunter Dickinson. I think 
I think they need to – we talked about this before the Iowa State game. I think they need to kind of repeat that game plan. I think Hunter Dickinson needs to be touching the ball literally every possession for Kansas uh, because we. I trust his passing ability. I trust that that he can make the right decision. If if Houston's going to try to double him quickly, uh, he should. Like I said, he should be able to have some good vision around the court because Houston doesn't have a necessarily the vertical size to to potentially kind of go up against him. I think he needs to be getting the ball literally every trip, especially if Kevin McCullough's not playing. I don't think you want Dewan Harris being the guy trying to start the offense every possession for forty minutes because it's just it's just going to he's just going to be so dead tired probably by the end of the game. So I have a lot of concern about that. Get the ball to Hunter Dickinson. Limit the offensive rebounding. Those are the, those are the uh, two big things to me. And then also, uh, kind of what we touched on with the with the uh, assist to scoring, you, you need to pass the ball effectively uh, as well in the half court. But you can't turn it over. There's that fine line between the two. For me, it's That's just the problem, yeah. if you can be within, like if they only have five more shots than you with the collection of offensive rebounds they get and the collection of turnovers they get, I think that's a win for KU, and that would help. I think if Dewan Harris plays an A game, I think Kansas wins the game because I think if you're if you're kind of neutralizing a bit, Jamal Shedd, that is a huge victory for Kansas. The other part is if Kevin McCuller is efficient, that would help. Uh, if Johnny yeah, Furphy I mean, we'll holds his much, own we'll see on the defense side of the ball. Kevin even plays. Yeah, exactly. So I think all those are uh, ways they can win the game, but it's going to take a heck of an effort and some Allen Fieldhouse magic for sure. All right, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to be joined by Graham Doran in about 10 minutes from right now on KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Graham Doran. You can uh, check out all of Graham's great work on his social media page, at Graham Doran. You can find all his bracketology Graham Doran bracketology.wordpress.com. And you can check out Graham's podcast, the unnamed bracketology podcast on YouTube. So plenty of great work. We enjoy having Graham on the show here. Obviously a big one tomorrow, as I'd imagine it is for seeding in the brackets uh, with KU taking on Houston, uh, Houston currently a one seed and uh, not just a one seed, but I guess in contention for the number one overall right now Kansas meanwhile after they lost to Iowa State has uh dipped down to what was a three seed now back up to to a lower two seed as we kind of go into the weekend here uh, how much of an impact Graham or, or I guess what do you think would be the result based on who wins this game in terms of how it would affect the bracket I think it's going to have a huge seating impact for both teams I think for Houston as you mentioned they are the potential number one overall seed. And in fact, I will be moving them to the overall number one seed if they can win at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, that could change when Purdue heads to Wisconsin on Sunday. Uh, but for the meantime, if Houston wins, they will be the overall number one seed. They have terrific efficiency metrics, and this would give them that elite win that they're really missing in their resume. They've got a lot of very good wins. This would be the elite win that would show, you know, maybe those Ken Palm scores, those aren't random. This is a team that not only looks great against decent competition, but can win at the very toughest venues in college basketball. And what about for Kansas? If they can come through with a victory, how pivotal, how important would this be for their resume and seed line? Well, right now I have Kansas seventh overall. So that, uh, as you mentioned, that's a low two seed. Right now they're looking at five and three against quadrant one and the seventh best strength of record in the country. Obviously we know they've got the great wins early on in the year, Tennessee on a neutral court, Kentucky on a neutral court, UConn at home. 
but this would put them at six and three against quadrant one. And all of a sudden, Kansas is right back in contention for a number one seed. In fact, I think they probably would end up getting there at the low end, uh, probably fourth overall. If not, they're looking at fifth or sixth overall. They would be very, very close uh, to being back as a number one seed with a victory here. So I think you're, you're talking about if Kansas loses at home, I think the one seed conversation is really realistically over at that point. I wouldn't say it's entirely out, but realistically, I think this is it for Kansas. So this is kind of a last stand for the Jayhawks. If they want to be a number one seed, they must win an Allen Fieldhouse tomorrow. It feels like over the last few years, the conference tournaments haven't impacted seeding as much as they did maybe when I was growing up, where it felt like you would see a team win a conference tournament and all of a sudden they jump up like two or three seed lines from maybe where they were before the uh, the tournament started. Now it feels like it might have like a one seed line impact uh, on kind of more big cases, maybe a two seed impact. Uh, but but knowing that the Big Twelve now it is not around Robin anymore where there are these imbalanced schedules and how many good teams there will be obviously in the Big 12 tournament that if you want to win a Big 12 tournament championship you're probably going to have to you know get two or three quad one wins along the way could you see the Big 12 tournament having a huge impact this year maybe more than some of the recent years in terms of seeding impact well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think uh, it has been less of an impact over the years, and it still can make a difference, but it's probably talking about like one seed line. Uh, for example, last year, I think Marquette winning the Big East tournament was enough to move them from the ninth overall seed into the two seed line area, where if they didn't win the Big East tournament, I don't think that happens. Same thing happened with Duke last year. I think Duke was going to be a six seed until they won the ACC tournament, and that vaulted them up to a five seed. I think Kansas is in the same uh, picture, and really any Big 12 team would be. I think they can move up one seed line, but realistically, that's going to be about it. Long gone are the days when Syracuse wins the Big East tournament and moves up to a four seed, or when Maryland did the same thing uh, a long time ago. Uh, We're talking about 15 years ago. It was about the last time the committee did something like that so those days are long long gone across the big 12 uh, over this past week since we last talked to you last friday what do you think's been the biggest result in terms of shifting the bracket affecting the bracket bracket uh as it pertains to happening in the big 12 conference uh, I think as far as the Big 12 goes, uh, to me, the biggest result was really just that Texas-Houston game, because uh, this was an opportunity for Texas to really plant their flag as an NCAA tournament team. They lost in overtime at home in Austin, and now Texas is right back on the bubble. I have them as a 10 seed right now. And for Houston, I think this was the result that really sh- uh, shows they're not just a current one seed but they are very likely to stay a number one seed at the end of the year as well. So I think that was the biggest impact for the bracket. And uh, when you look at, I guess for me, Kansas State has maybe fallen off a little bit here of late. And uh, I look to UCF, who I think has been better than maybe I thought coming into Big 12 play, but still I think they're sitting at 12-8, and eight, something like that. Who, who do you think has a better avenue for making it to the NCAA tournament? Maybe it's neither, but if you had to pick one, uh, UCF or Kansas State? It's Kansas State. They currently have a 44th strength of record in the country. All they, are, they are just 1-4 and four against Quadrant 1, and the net does not like them. They are all the way down 
at 81st in that. So not great numbers for Kansas State. At the same time, uh, the Wildcats still do have some victories that will uh, make them a legitimate tournament contender. They beat Baylor at home. They've got that good win over Villanova. Maybe not so great anymore, but good win over Villanova. And also a good neutral court win over Providence, who's a fellow bubble contender. So I think Kansas State in general has a better overall resume than UCF. UCF doesn't have resume metrics that scream tournament team. They don't have efficiency metrics that scream tournament team. I think Kansas State is much more in the ballpark, and they could really use a win at home on Monday over KU. Yeah, I, I think uh, that makes it a little more scary for KU fans that you could have a, a desperate situation there. I, I know you've mentioned before that whoever wins the Big 12, you basically get into one seed when, when you look at the accumulation of all the quad one wins and, and everything that that would do for your resume. Is there a scenario out there where the Big 12 can still get two one seeds? If so, what would that look like? Or is that just kind of impossible given uh, what some of the other teams have done to this point? I think the scenario is Houston ends up getting a one seed but doesn't win the Big 12 regular season. I think that scenario is realistic. If you had Houston uh, not win the Big 12 regular season and somebody else wins the Big 12 regular season, uh, I think Houston would still fall onto that one line, probably hanging out there as maybe the third or fourth overall uh, seed. And I think whoever wins the Big 12 uh, regular season would join them there. I think Houston is so dominant in their performances that the committee is going to recognize that dominance with a number one seed. I think the question is, how could you leave out a Big 12 regular season champion? And I think that's the realistic scenario for the Big 12 is Houston not landing the Big 12 championship, but landing a one seed alongside another Big 12 team. A lot of big games in the Big 12 tomorrow outside of the Kansas-Houston game. Iowa State is taking on Baylor uh, you've got TCU taking on Texas, Texas Tech, Cincinnati, uh, BYU, I guess, makes the, the long travel across the league. Uh, is there a game tomorrow that you're kind of keeping an eye on that, that you think will have a big impact outside of the KU-Houston game? Yeah, I think uh, you already mentioned it. I think Cincinnati, for me, is one of the first teams out of the bracket, and they have a huge opportunity at Texas Tech. So if Cincinnati were to win that, they would vault into my bracket, and they would probably stay there because they already have a win at BYU, another good win over TCU. Very good efficiency metrics for a bubble team. I think Cincinnati would likely stay in the bracket if they could have two elite wins at Texas Tech and at BYU. Um, Conversely, I think Texas Tech is right now a five seed for me, but still has that opportunity to move up within the seed lines to maybe potentially compete for a two seed. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. What if Texas Tech were that team to win the Big 12 regular season? I don't think it's impossible that they could do that. So uh, if that were the case, maybe even a very, very, very long shot at a one seed. But I think Texas Tech has a good opportunity to move up within the seed lines and become a two or a three seed if they can pick up a few wins down the stretch. Yeah, the fact they don't have the return trip with with Houston back in Lubbock or don't have to play in in Lawrence with Allen Fieldhouse, that's uh, obviously helpful there for Tech. Uh, Now, same question I asked about the Big 12, except as it pertains to the rest of the country. Since we last talked to you over the last week, what do you think the biggest result has been across college basketball as far as bracket impact? Uh, When you're looking at the biggest bracket impact, you're usually looking at somebody that got that big road win. Earlier, I was talking about Houston going to Austin, and this time it's about Florida going to Kentucky. 
That was a complete resume changer for Florida. They were really lacking in quality wins, and now they don't just pick up a quality win. They pick up a huge road win over Kentucky, and now for the Wildcats, not only do the Jayhawks gain a game on them in the all-time wins list, the Kentucky Wildcats are now looking at a sixth seed in my bracket because the benefit of the doubt is no longer there. They've lost at home to UNC Wilmington. They've lost at home to Florida. It's getting tough to justify when you add that to a loss at Arkansas. Kentucky is losing too many games against mediocre competition. The Wildcats are not looking at a protected seat at this point and probably won't be looking one at one for the rest of the regular season due to too many bad losses. Uh, one of the big things that jumps out to me when, when I'm looking at your bracket and some of the teams that um, are in the field is the popularity of the Mountain West this year. And I think the Mountain West, obviously, last year, you know, after having so many years of down tournament years where when they make it, then they lose, I think it was probably good for them to see San Diego State make it all the way to the Final Four. But, you know, you look across your bracket right now, and uh, it's graced with Mountain West teams like San Diego State and Boise State and Colorado State. Uh, I, I mean, just across the way, do you feel like the Mountain West right now is the best, I guess, non-Power 6 conference in college basketball? I don't think there's any doubt they're the best non-Power 6 uh, league in the country. And in fact, I'd argue that they're better than the Pac-12. Uh, despite the Pac-12 having Arizona, I think they're a better conference than the Pac-12 is. So I would put them actually as the sixth best conference in the country this year. Uh, just a really deep league. Uh, they have a very uh, clean cut between the top 16, uh, six teams in the league and the rest of the conference. The one team of that top six that I think is in real danger of missing the tournament, and for me right now isn't that close, is Nevada at 15-5 and five overall. But if you look at that league, I think Utah State, Boise State, New Mexico, San Diego State, and Colorado State are all in good shape for a bid, and right now they're all single-digit seeds for me. I think any one of those five would really have to collapse down the stretch to not get a tournament bid. So I think the Mountain West should be feeling good about at least five tournament bids. And I guess Nevada becomes big TCU fans with that uh, win that they have there. The other thing that, that really sticks out to me here, when you look at that like 10-11-12 line in the bracket here, I mean, you have St. Mary's, who we're, we're I guess pretty used to seeing at this point, but still, that's you know, a, a, I guess non-power six team. You got Indiana State, who you talked about last week as being a very dangerous team there uh, on the eleven line, Grand Canyon, and then on the twelve line, you know, Appalachian State, McNeese State. Even with two of your play-in games as twelve seeds, now I, I know that's not that different than from what we see some years, but it feels like a lot of years we see the the play-in games as like eleven seeds. And, and again, there have been some years with with twelve seed Tech. I remember, I think one year dating back a while ago, it was like a fourteen seed play game between like BYU and Iona or something like that but does that tell you that this year there are more I guess good qualified uh one big bid league type of teams that uh could make for very interesting upset possibilities in the first round well first off you have a memory like an elephant that was correct it was BYU <laughs> okay. versus Iona in 2012 for a 14 seed you remember that to a T there we go uh, but yes this is absolutely an indicator that this is a very strong year for mid-majors. It is atypical to see teams like Indiana State sitting there as a 10 seed. It is atypical to see a whack champion 
potentially sitting at an 11 seed. These are leagues that shouldn't be having teams in that range most years. So this is a very, very strong year. It is not a coincidence that my plan games are 12 seeds. We are going to see teams in the at-large field that are ranked worse by the committee than some of these conference champions because it's a very strong year for mid-majors. You mentioned it being a strong year for mid-majors. I guess further on that point, are there some Power 5 teams lower down that you are concerned are going to miss the tournament because of the fact that there's more of these mid-major teams that could be scooping up some of those bids? Yeah, I think absolutely. One team that particularly comes to mind is an 11 seed for me right now, Colorado. Colorado doesn't really have much of a quality win to speak of. They won at Washington. Otherwise, they don't have a quadrant one win. I think those are the sorts of teams that are in real danger. I've also got UVA, Virginia at a 12 seed. They just don't have the wins that jump off the page. And you expect power conference teams with the amount of opportunities they get to pick up some of these wins. These are not teams that are getting these wins this year. So I think there's a real chance that you're going to look at some of these power conference teams say they've got good metrics. They've got a good record. They had a good conference record. Why didn't they make the tournament? And the answer will be they didn't get quality wins, whereas some of these mid-majors did a better job with the opportunities they had. Is there a team in your bracket that, I, I guess I'll go both ends with this, that you feel like you're higher than consensus on versus a team that you feel like you're lower than consensus on? Yeah, I think one team that I, I really am higher on consensus than is, is Kansas, to be frank with you. I think uh, a lot of people are looking at the Ken Palm and BPI numbers for Kansas, and they're saying, well, those aren't very good. They lost to West Virginia. They lost to UCF. But for me, something that really resonates are teams that can win elite games. And I think we saw that with Indiana last year landing a four seed. Their metrics didn't say four seed. Literally no metric that Indiana had said four seed. And they were only a six and nine team against quadrant one. That doesn't screen four seed at all. But what the committee saw was a sweep of number one seed Purdue along with some other elite wins. And that's what the Jayhawks have right now. They have that Tennessee win. They have that Kentucky win. They have that UConn win. Those aren't going anywhere. If they can add a win over Houston, I think the Jayhawks are in much better seating shape than most people believe, and that's why I have them kind of higher than the rest of bracketology right now because I am seeing what elite wins can mean to a resume. A team that I'm actually a little bit lower on uh, than some other teams is uh, a team that we already actually talked about, and that's Kentucky. I think Kentucky has too many questionable losses at this point for not enough uh, great wins. They have that win over North Carolina what else on Kentucky's resume is really impressive? I, I don't think there actually is anything that really jumps off the page except for that one win. There's a big difference between being a team like Kansas and having three elite wins, whereas Kentucky has one elite win. So I think most people still have Kentucky as a four or a five seed. I have them down as a six because they're not getting it done against elite competition, and they're pairing that with some bad losses. All right, for this week's Pop the Bubble, this one's a little more conceptual. Um, what, uh, which of these uh, would you pop the idea on? The West Coast Conference getting two teams in this year or the Big 12 getting five teams on the one through four seed line combined? I'm popping the West Coast Bubble of two teams in mm -hmm. from the West Coast Conference. 
I think the West Coast is in serious trouble when it comes to getting tournament bids. St. Mary's actually probably has the best shot at getting an at-large bid at this point because Gonzaga is about to go to Kentucky, a team who I've already talked about a fair amount today. If they don't win in Rupp Arena next week, I don't think Gonzaga is going to get an at-large bid. I just don't think they're going to have enough quality to get it done. So I think the I'm going to pop the bubble of the WCC and I think the Big 12 has a very, very good chance of landing those teams on the one through five lines. Uh, just look, excuse me, uh, on those top lines, you've got Houston, Kansas, Iowa State, Baylor, Texas Tech, BYU, maybe even throw in a team like TCU. It's bound to see a bracket with the Big 12 having lots of teams at the top of the bracket. Graham Doran joining us here. Graham, I appreciate the time, man. And uh, once again, you can check out all of Graham's work at Graham Doran on social media. You can uh, check out Graham's work with his Bracketology. I mean, he posts it there on his social media, too. But uh, you can find it GrahamDoranBracketology.wordpress.com. And you can find Graham's podcast through YouTube, the Unnamed Bracketology Podcast. Graham, appreciate the time, man, and uh, have a good weekend. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Nick. All right, Graham Doran joining us here. One hour down, two to go. Actually, one and a half to go because we got high school hoops coming at you later tonight. Game picks, KU game picks, KU women's basketball preview, Bill Self Audio, all that to come. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Alatha. It's that time of the week on Rock Chalk Sports Talk for game picks of the biggest games ahead from this weekend. Boy, that sounds great. And you know what? It'll be nice having a little extra cash to bet on college football. Right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Yeah, I'd like to bet 100 bucks. You want to pick a team? No, just take it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Time for our game picks. We'll get to some uh, KU women's basketball talk and Rock Chalk Pickahawk KU game picks for the KU Houston game. Also, some Bill Self audio coming at you through the remainder of the show. We don't have any uh, NFL or college football to pick, obviously, of which, by the way, Nick is 6 0 since the divisional round in uh, NFL game picks. Yeah, I've been hot. So, we're just going to do all college basketball. And in fact, because we only have college basketball, we're going to double down. We're going to do 10 day games of college basketball, five in the Big 12. Five around the country. Uh, you went four and one last week, so you are now oh, nice. eleven seven and two. I went just one and four, so I am nine nine and two now on the season in college hoops. Yikes! We're gonna start with our five games in the Big Twelve. First up, Texas at number twenty-five TCU. The Horn Frogs are giving up five. Yeah, I know we had this conversation about TCU earlier in the week or last week about how just how good are they, right? And we had the discussion about well. Are they even better than they were last year? And even still, I'm not really sure, but they're playing at a pretty high level. Uh, they look like a pretty dangerous team. And I'm going to take TCU with the points here against Texas. Texas just played probably their biggest game of the season against Houston, an emotional game, a game that, like we just talked with Graham Doerr, and a game that if Texas wins, they probably puts them in the tournament uh, right now. And they lost. Not only did they lose, they, lose, they lost in overtime on their home floor. So I'm just wondering how much 
energy they're going to have to be able to get up and turn around and play against the TCU team that is very athletic and can be pretty aggressive, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I like TCU minus the five here with the frogs. Can I do the little, the little uh, what do they call that? The claw? No, it's not. Yeah, I don't know it? what they call it. It's just go frogs. The, the frogs thing? Go frogs. So I, what I've learned in the Big 12 is zig when they're zagging. Zag when they're zigging. TCU's won three straight games. Texas has lost two straight games. I'm going to go with Texas, plus the five points. Now, Texas, it does not inspire me how they've played on the road. They did have a one-point road win against Cincinnati, but they lost at West Virginia. They lost at BYU by 12. I guess they did win at Oklahoma by 15. Hey, it's tough to win on the road against Texas. I guess that's true. 2-2 and in the Big 12, that's actually good, considering everything. So, um, you go back to last year, uh, in the three times that the two teams met, Texas won two of them, and in the one game TCU won, they only won by two. Now, obviously, different teams, but... um, There are some returning faces for Texas. I'm going to take the Longhorns plus the five points. Wow. Number 23, Oklahoma is minus one and a half. They are at UCF. I'm sorry, at Central Florida. Central Florida, the Golden Knights. That's right. Be sure to call them the Central Florida Golden Knights. They love that. Nobody Mm -hmm. loves more to be called the Central Florida Golden Knights than Central Florida fans. Well, by the way, why why do you think they hate that? Are they not in Central Florida? So what does it I matter? don't know. It'd be like somebody getting mad at Kansas being called KU. No, that's stupid. I know it is. No, I think the I think actually the equivalent for K for Kansas would be when people say Kansas University instead of University of Kansas. I guess that's probably the equivalent. But see, literally UCF stands for University of Central Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so why do they get mad at Central Florida? Right. It's like that's actually what. So do they get mad if for? you say University of Central Florida, or do they get mad if you only say Central Florida? I think they get mad if you say Central Florida. Hmm. So we throw the university in there, it's fine, maybe? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Your University of Central Florida fighting Golden Knights. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Oklahoma here. I like Oklahoma. They are coming off of the, the big one they had against Kansas State on the road. Feeling pretty good, probably. UCF, yeah, they sold it out for Kansas, but they don't care beyond that. So give me Oklahoma on the road here. I have actually, like, low-key kind of thought UCF is kind of like a decent team. Maybe that's just being clouded by them beating Oklahoma and me thinking them they're, they're better Kansas than they actually are or beating Kansas. Yeah, sorry. Uh, or are they gonna, is that you prophesizing that they're going to beat Oklahoma? I, I'm picking them to win the game, actually. I'm picking okay. them to pull off an upset. And, I mean, it, it would be a big win for Oklahoma because – after they were three and four in conference play, if you go back-to-back road wins at Kansas State and UCF, that would be a real nice boon for them coming into two straight home games after that. But yeah. uh, I, I think UCF has what it takes to, I guess, get this done on the defensive end of the floor. OU's been a better defensive team than an offensive team, so I think this will be a lower-scoring game. I think UCF's, uh, I guess, length and athleticism maybe can do enough to win this game at home, and I'll take UCF. Wow. Cincinnati is at number 15, Texas Tech. The Red Raiders are giving up five points. Yeah, this is a, one of those games where it's a bit of a head-scratcher where you'd, you'd probably expect Texas Tech to be favored by a little bit more than just five. But uh, Cincinnati has proven to be a pretty tough team, I think. Uh, I will say this. Overall, I've been very impressed with the collective teams coming to the Big 12. Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF. Like, I've been very impressed by all of them. None of them have really just completely bottomed out or really just completely flamed out. Houston, obviously, I think we expected them to be really quality, and they are. But BYU, I don't know that was expected to do what they're doing. 
Cincinnati again. I think they're a really tough team, and they and they definitely have some talent. And then UCF has been better than advertised as well. So uh, that's a bit of that's a bit surprising, I guess. But I'm gonna take Texas Tech here. I think Texas Tech at home is is, is pretty good, and they are in a pretty good spot to possibly get a, a top four seed uh, in terms of like a one through four seed. So I'm gonna roll with uh, the Red Raiders here at home. I'm gonna actually go Cincinnati on the road. Um, couple things. This is a weird line. It makes me nervous. It is. Texas Tech. Do you know how like many times? High. So Cincinnati's fourteen and seven. So they have seven losses. Do you know how many times Cincinnati has lost by more than five points? Isn't it like once? One time. Yeah. They lose close games when they lose, and they've actually been okay on the road. I mean, uh, you lose by five in Allen Fieldhouse. You lose by three at Baylor. You win at BYU by eleven points. They've been okay there. And so, yes, Texas Tech is a very difficult place to play. It's funny. These two teams are basically inverses of each other. Uh, Cincinnati is the number 73 offense. They're the number 16 defense. Texas Tech is the number 13 offense. They're the number 78 defense. But one thing I think is interesting, Texas Tech is not a good rebounding team. 128th in offensive rebound rate, 230th in defensive rebounding rate. What does Cincinnati do well? They rebound. Eighth in offensive rebound rate, seventh in defensive rebound rate. That's something that can travel yeah. on the road. Just keep ask you in a game. Just ask Kansas how well. Absolutely. They and so I think Cincinnati, because they play a tough style of play, can make this one close uh, with Texas Tech coming off their first uh, or second Big Twelve loss of the season. Mm. Number twelve Iowa State is at number eighteen Baylor. The Bears are minus two and a half. Oh man, this is tough. Do I go with the frat guys or do I go with the fighting Scott Drews, <laughs> aka the fighting clowns? Oh gosh, make me pick this one. I don't want to pick. I mean, I'll go with ba- listen Baylor. They need a home win pretty badly. Yeah, right. I mean, they lose to TCU. They lo- did they they lost at home to somebody else, right? Besides TCU, they lost yes. to TCU and they lost to was it Texas? Did Texas beat them on the road? I don't think maybe not. They lost to somebody else at home besides TCU. So they really needed a home win pretty badly, and they've got a good chance to do it against against uh, Iowa State coming into Waco. Uh, I wonder how much the camera angle negatively affects their ability to score. Because, dude, it affects my ability. To when watch. you watch the game, you can't tell if that ball's going in or not. So think about that. If you can't tell on the broadcast, how they, how can the players tell? By the way, the K State and Texas losses for Baylor were on the road, so they're the only home losses. Oh, okay, they only lost CC on the yeah. at home. Okay, so but still just four and three right now. Yeah, they need to win badly uh, if they want to maintain even trying to be on the outside looking in of the Big Twelve title race. Meanwhile, for Iowa State, they win this game, and they are, they're already kind of in the Big 12 title race. They would really cement, be cemented at that point in the Big 12 title race. I'm going to go with the fighting clowns. I mean, <clears throat> fighting Scott Drews. Uh, I, think they'll, I think they'll get it done. I'm picking, picking Baylor here. I'm going Baylor, too. This goes back to my idea, zig when they zag. Uh, Baylor's the more desperate team here. They need this win. Iowa yeah, State, do. like you said, could it would be very helpful if they got it, but this is kind of a game for Baylor where it's like if they want to stay in the same way Kansas needs to win their game if Baylor wants to stay in the Big 12 title race they got to win this game too so I'm going to take the Bears playing at home minus the two and a half number 22 BYU is minus nine points they're playing at West Virginia this has got to be the the longest geographical matchup or would it be UCF maybe yeah oh UCF against BYU's got it probably so this is probably second furthest geographical yes most miles you can travel for a game I would think so okay yeah I would think so yeah, I think UCF is farther east than uh, West Virginia. Is. I don't know. Looking at Google a map. Look at a map. Uh, but I think UCF is probably farther east. Uh, this is a that's a lot of points for a team on the road. 
And going back to kind of the philosophy that you and I have both utilized in the past when it comes to the situation, a, a home team getting that many points? Gosh, I don't know about that. So I'm going to I'm gonna take West Virginia. Although I am nervous, though, because West Virginia, they have put out some duds <laughs> after they went off against KU. So could they just lay an egg again? I think it's easily very possible. But BYU, in that same notion, because they rely so heavily on the three-point shot, if it's not falling for them, you know, this game could stay close. So yeah, that, West, that West, with, Virginia uh, West Virginia arena is different. It's it's like a big cement bubble dome. <laughs> and it's not an ideal, I guess, shooting environment to me. You don't think so? West Virginia obviously more used to it. Um, this could be a high-scoring game because you have two teams that shoot a lot of threes and make them at, at pretty good clips. I'm going to go West Virginia. Hey, BYU. Long way to travel. They're going to fire off a musket, so don't be scared of that because I was scared when that happened. All right, let's get to uh, around the country beyond just the Big 12. We've got a couple games tonight, the first of which features a couple of Atlantic 10 teams. St. Bonaventure is at number 21, Dayton, and the Flyers are giving up 7.5 points. Yeah, I'm going to go with Dayton here. Uh, they've been pretty good so far this season, and I I don't know. It's has Dayton been kind of flying under the radar a little bit, you think, in terms of They are the Flyers. People? Flyers under oh, the radar. Oh, I didn't even that. Are they kind of flying under the radar a little bit, you think? I think so. So, I mean, their, their losses so far this year, lost to Northwestern on the road by five. That's a pretty good Northwestern team. Houston by 14, but it's still Houston. And in the non-con, they did beat LSU, who's Power 5 team. They beat St. John's, who's in the top 40 of Ken Palm. They beat SMU, who's in the top 50 of Ken Palm. They beat Cincinnati, who's in the top 35 of Ken Palm. And they beat Cincinnati in a semi-road game by 14 points. Um, that was the one game that Cincinnati lost by more than five points this year. And then they lost uh, that game to Richmond in conference play. But, yeah, Dayton's been a really good team. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Dayton here. I'm going to go with Dayton. Uh, I, I mean, listen, any chance I get to to, to possibly bet on the, the Bonnies, I don't normally take it, but give me, give me Dayton. Dayton is uh, an elite three-point shooting team. Seventh in the country shooting 40% from three-point range. And you pair that with having one of the best big men in the country in Deron Holmes. It's a pretty fun offense for what they're doing on that end of the floor. They've been a pretty good defense. They don't rebound well or force turnovers, so they lose the possession game, but overall they've been pretty good. I'll say that's a tough place to play. Playing on a Friday night, give me Dayton minus the 7.5 against St. Bonaventure. I mean, I, I can't imagine there's, I mean, I don't want to offend anybody listening from Ohio potentially, but I can't imagine there's a lot to do in Dayton beyond going to a Dayton Flyers game. No, they have, they have a really good home court environment for sure. Uh, Butler is at number 13, Creighton. So Creighton and Dayton, uh, you get the Blue Jays minus 11 points tonight in Omaha. Yeah, I'm going to go with Butler here. Uh, 11 points seems like a lot. Butler, uh, they had that emotional win against Villanova last weekend. Uh, I I like Butler here. I, I like Butler. I think they're a team that on the road can maybe, you know, listen, the Butler Bulldogs got that dog in them. I think they got the dog in them. And uh, I, think they'll, I think they'll definitely battle with Creighton and keep it close. I don't know if they're going to win, though. Uh, but I will take Butler with the points. Yeah, I don't think they'll win, but I, I think this will be a closer game than 11 points. Butler's had a nice little season. So this is the second year for Thad Mata since he got hired. He's gotten them to 14-7. and seven. They're like a top 60 team on Ken Palm right now. They, they don't really turn the ball over. Uh, they've you know, been like a top 50 offense so far to this point. And they've won three straight games. Now two of them are against really bad teams, DePaul and Georgetown. But they just beat you know Villanova in double overtime. And that was... On Saturday, so they've had all week off to get ready for this game with Creighton, even though it is on the road. Uh, Creighton, as good as they've been this year, they haven't been nearly as good as I thought they were going to be this season. Agree, I agree with that. Yeah, 
I mean, I, on I paper, you're like, dude, this team should be awesome. Right. You get bring back Kalkbrenner. You add in uh, the guy from Utah State that looks like he's yeah, selling Stephen insurance. Uh, you still have... They have Trey uh, Alexander, Baylor, yeah, Alexander, Shireman, Ryan Kalkbrenner. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. Shireman, yeah. I mean, they're honestly very similar to Kansas in the, the vein of um, one of the best starting fives in the country. Like, Ashworth, Alexander, Shireman, Kalkbrenner... And then, you know, the, the fourth guy has been kind of a, a, a rotation for them. So that's part of what they're figuring out. And then the bench hasn't really been there. But, like, it is kind of similar to Kansas that they're not very deep, but they do have, like, four dudes. Can yeah. they figure out the rest? Maybe they'll be a team. Like, maybe them and Kansas will be good tournament teams and not as good regular season teams. But either way, I'm uh, going with Butler. I just think 11 is too many. Yeah, I agree. All right, on to Saturday. Number 17, Utah State is at San Diego State. The Aztecs are giving up five points. Yeah, I I mean, I get it. It's San Diego State. I'm having a hard time figuring out why Utah State are are dogs in this game. They're ranked. I mean, San Diego State's not. Dude, Utah State, they have two losses. They have one bad loss in the second game of the season in overtime against Bradley. Since then, their only other loss has been to New Mexico. Now, granted, they haven't really played any top teams. Yeah, that 31-point win over Northwest Nazarene doing anything for you? Oh, it's doing a lot for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's doing a whole lot for me. Or they did they a 15-point win over East Tennessee State. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good one. So, I don't know. I'm going to go with Utah State here. I think they have something to prove. They need a big win. Give me Utah State. The Aggies. Yeah, Utah State, I guess, has like a, a bludgeoning inside game. They have a dude. This is a great name. I mean, I guess pun intended. Uh, it, uh, his name is Great, great, great Osibor. He's a 6'8", 250-pound load on the inside. And then sometimes they'll play him next to a 7-foot center. Normally, when I've thought of Utah State in the past, they it's just like shoot this, three. Yeah, it's like, I mean, well, Stephen Ashworth, right? they had insurance right? guy. Yeah, yeah, they had insurance salesman. They're, just, they're not going to have three. This year, they're only shooting 30.8% from three, though, but they're ninth in the country in two-point rate because they mm-hmm. just bludgeon you inside. But, you know, with, with San Diego State, I think of them having, like, that pack line, good interior defense, although it's been yeah. only kind of average so far this season. That's a really difficult place to play. I think this is kind of a must-win for them. They're coming off a loss for Colorado State. Uh, they're a bit of a bubble team right now. They could really use a win like this. I'm going to take San Diego State and say they cover the five points and, and kind of steer into a does Vegas know something here on this line? Because mm. I do agree that is a bit of a peculiar line for this. Number seven, Duke is at number three, North Carolina. The Tar Heels are giving up five points. Yeah, in a game nobody cares about. It's not an important game. I mean, <laughs> dude, who cares, really? Two two schools within 10 miles of each other? Mm-hmm. Give me a break. I mean, go travel and play somebody else. It's ridiculous. Uh, I will take North Carolina here solely because Duke sucks. They're frauds. I like North Carolina here. Uh, North Carolina has been really good this season. Obviously, the number three in the country. R.J. Davis has been... I mean, if Zach Eady didn't exist, R.J. Davis is probably your national player of the year right now, right? He's probably been the best guard in the country. Yeah, I mean, right? yeah, I mean, I think he's got to be... In the, I mean, I think it's him and Zach Eady, mm-hmm. really, uh, for national player of the year. I think he's averaging over almost over 21 points per game. So uh, I will roll with North Carolina here. Uh, give me the targets. This is one I've gone back and forth on, and, and my honest answer is I don't really know on this one. Um, I'm just going to go with Duke and steer into the idea that five points is a lot in a rivalry game between two top ten teams. Like, this yeah. could be determined by two or three points, so just give me the five. No, number five, sure. Tennessee, is at number ten, Kentucky. The Vols are giving up one and a half. Yeah, listen, I'll be honest. I was going to take Kentucky, mm. but then I heard the inside of Graham Doran about mm. Kentucky being ass or being bad, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I changed my mind. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Tennessee. Okay. Um, hmm. So this is one that's interesting because Tennessee, very good defensive team. They're second in the country there on the defensive side of the ball. 
I feel like Kentucky, though, and I, I thought this after the Kansas game, and I think so far it's bared itself out. Because Kentucky is such a young team, but it's a very talented team, they really show up in the big games. They struggle more in the small games. For instance, they showed, even though they lost, they showed up in the Kansas game. They played very well. They played yeah. nearly good enough to win that game. Yeah, they did. And sure. then all of a sudden, a week later, they almost they had to go to overtime at home against St. Joseph's, who's barely a top 100 team. And then team. they lose to UNC Wilmington. Right. Then they beat Miami, who went to the Final Four last year by 22 points. And then, yes, the very next game, they lose to UNC Wilmington. Um, they beat North Carolina by four points on a neutral court. And then all of a sudden, they're losing in overtime to Texas A&M. They're losing by 17 at South Carolina. Um, they're losing at, at home to Florida. Yeah, South Carolina and Florida, both and a and are all decent teams. But still, like you compare that to beating North Carolina and yeah. hanging in there with Kansas and beating a good Mississippi State team by 13 points and, and winning at Florida, I, I don't know. I, I, so I feel like the fact they're playing at home okay. in a game that they definitely want to get up for, I think these are the types of games they lose. And this is what will happen. They'll beat Tennessee, and then their very next game, they're at Vanderbilt. They'll lose oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, easy loss. That that'll be one hundred percent what happens. To Vanderbilt. Yes, and then they'll come back and they'll beat Gonzaga at home, and revenge then they'll lose. The, revenge miss of the, the nerds, next. Vanderbilt. Yeah. No, that's that's one hundred percent what will happen there. So I'm going to go with Kentucky uh, with the one and a half points. All right, KU women's basketball preview coming up next. KU game picks after that. Bill Self audio after that. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. We got some Bill Self audio coming at you in the 5 o'clock hour. High school basketball at about 5.30. Free State girls basketball followed by Free State boys basketball. Nick Springer has uh, left the building. He's getting ready for uh, that game with Craig Hershiser right here on KLWN tonight. We have your KU men's basketball game tomorrow, pregame 1.30, tip off at 3 here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We also have your KU women's basketball game at you tomorrow night. That'll be at 6 o'clock, pregame 5.45 as they're taking on the TCU Horn Frogs in Lawrence. So we're going to preview that one. Before we get into the preview with what the Jayhawks can expect from the Horn Frogs and how important the game is, here's what Brandon Schneider had to say after KU's win earlier this week over the BYU Cougars. Coach, obviously you didn't have Holly in the lineup today, but Ryan Cobbins made a huge statement. Her rebounding with twins, 20 points, 20 rebounds, 20 points. How do you think your team overall did today? Uh, you know, I thought for the most part I was really proud of, um, you know, our defensive performance. We had some flurries where uh, we had poor communication and, and they capitalized um, probably three threes at, at different times, uh, especially to – um, you know, cut it to five, I believe, at one point. Um, but collectively, uh, I thought I thought we had a really good defensive performance, and I'm proud of how we rebounded the ball against a really good team. You guys only shot 13 threes tonight. Was that the game plan, or just the fact that they weren't going in early? Or no, um, you know, to be quite honest, I thought we probably shot too many of them uh, with with the advantage that we had in in terms of how Twin was playing. Um, I thought we missed her. Um, Countless times uh, where where we we could have gotten her more touches. So um, I don't know that we ever go into a game, um, you know, with a certain number in mind. Um, but um, you know, we we obviously didn't didn't shoot it great. Um, you know, Holly being out obviously is always going to affect our our three point percentage. I have to ask about it, Coach. You ever seen a bat like that before? Uh, not. Not uh, not in Allen Fieldhouse, not in Allen Fieldhouse. That was uh, my my first experience, and um, you know I thought stopping the game with it being near the court uh, was was warranted. Um, obviously, you have 
Um, you know, people who react differently um, have different phobias. Uh, I know that some of our players uh, all were, or some of them were, were more scared than others. So, uh, strange. Coach, could you speak on Tiana's performance tonight? thought she was incredible. Um, you know, just her activity level. Uh, she was relentless on both ends of the floor, struggled early to make shots, but then just kept after it. And um, just a, a, a complete performance on both ends. She came in here and said a big part of that was um, she wanted to prove she was the best rebounder in the Big 12. You know, when she comes in and talks to the media, she's pretty quiet, reserved, <coughs> not the same out on the court. What do you think that says about her as a player and just her personality in general? You know, um, whatever creates a competitive edge, uh, you know, um, Gustin's averaging 15 rebounds a game and, and six offensive rebounds a game. She's a terrific player uh, and is, is, has been putting up numbers for a long, long time. So I think any time um, a player like Tayana can, can take a challenge personally, um, if that's what it's, it takes uh, you know, to get you to play at a high level, then, then I credit her for that. Um, Coach, you've utilized more of your players this last couple of games. Could you kind of elaborate on the strategy behind that? Well, we, we need to continue to, to develop, um, you know, our bench more. Um, I think with with having, uh, you know, three players over there uh, that were not available, it's it's situation where it was just required tonight. Um, you know, I think Ryan did a great job stepping into the starting lineup. And uh, Lyle was good off the bench, especially defensively. Um, you know, Skyler had some big free throws, uh, you know, at important time. Uh, and then, you know, I think, I think Pops only gave up, you know, the one basket uh, to 12 and, and did a really good job of, of battling in there. Uh, Coach, you guys played really well. Uh, you guys played really good interior defense tonight. That's something you guys did struggle with. It was more on the perimeter when it came to the best way they scored. They got four threes late in the game in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So how do you guys think you can improve on it? Communicate. Communicate uh, at the free throw line. You know, uh, know who your matchup is. Uh, some of those were were just poor communication, and uh, and then I also think you have to give BYU credit. Uh, they did a really good job of of screening, especially in the second half. Ran a lot of double staggers, and and they got some good looks. And um, you know, obviously, uh, um, you know, Ten did a terrific job, made shots, and was was really aggressive. Um, you're thinking about you know scheduling the future. You got one like big month of basketball games left. Are you thinking about how tough your schedule is ahead? Are you taking it one game at a time? Or are you looking for this team to develop? I, I think we have to take it one game at a time, but understand the the sense of urgency that's required. Um, you know we've got to go on a run here uh, if we want to position ourselves to uh, to be an NCAA tournament team. Is there a certain type of defensive game plan you go in? Are you like watching out for certain players? Uh, <clears throat> well, I think uh, you know tonight uh, we we wanted to to you know Gustin is is a power forward and plays the four spot, but but we used our five uh, to defend her, and uh, we, we were just hoping that 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 Tyana's length um, would be a factor. So that was Brandon Schneider after the BYU win, and that was important. We've mentioned this. This is. Uh, now upcoming on Saturday, it'll be their second game of this five-game stretch that they came into a 10-10 and against all teams below 500 in Big 12 play. And so TCU is part of that. Now, TCU, 
Uh, maybe this is the most difficult of this stretch when you look at them overall in the season, but it, it's been a very weird path for the Horned Frogs to get here. TCU went 13-0 in non-conference play. They had uh, a tough year a year ago, brought in a new coach, added some big additions in the transfer portal, and then after starting so hot in non-con play, um, things started to uh, take a hit a bit in conference play with some injuries and players being sick and stuff, and they actually had to forfeit two games during Big 12 play. So realistically, even though you see the record 2-5, and five, it'd really only be 2-3 and three in the games they played. Now, maybe they end up losing both anyway. Who knows? Um, but certainly some of the play has fallen off. Like, you look at some of the numbers, you know, in the, the overall portion of the season, um, the biggest drop-off for them has been kind of on the, the defensive end of the court. But, like, they were a solid offensive rebounding team when you include the non-con numbers. But in Big 12-only play, they've struggled with offensive rebounding. They've done a good job avoiding turnovers. But in Big 12-only play, the turnover numbers have gone way up. The defensive numbers, I mean, overall for the season, they're in the 84th percentile in defensive rating. But in Big 12-only play, they're in just the 10th percentile of college basketball. So they have seen a tangible difference in conference play. And uh, I think part of that is because of some of the injuries and stuff that they've had to deal with. Point being, though, this is an opportunity, again, for Kansas to get a win. You're playing at home against a team who has a worse conference record than you go out and win these next four games get to 15 and 10 and feel like you have a shot down the final four games plus the big 12 conference tournament to make that push to make it to the postseason to make it to the NCAA tournament but it all starts with taking care of business in games just like this and you know obviously this will be a tough one because TCU still does have talent like they still do shoot a lot of threes a game uh, they seem to be kind of analytically driven when you look at where they're taking jump shots. They're not really taking many shots from the mid-range, but they're taking a ton of threes and they're shooting twos uh, from the interior, like at the paint and at the rim, at a high percentage. So uh, obviously with some of the recent stuff, you know, maybe that's not as applicable, but that's going to be the key for KU getting out on the perimeter and, and guarding that three-point line with TCU coming in shooting 38.3% on three-point shots, including 37.5% in Big 12-only play. But if Kansas can do that, um, which the defense has been kind of the calling card, I think, when they've played better, this TCU defense has very much struggled in conference-only play. And so we'll see what ends up happening with Holly Kerskeeter. She's never seen an injury coming into this game. Will she play if she does? You know, to what level of play? Um, can Kansas take advantage of of some of the rebounding stuff? Because, like I said, the, the rebounding numbers have definitely dripped off for TCU since the start of conference play. And we saw Tyler Jackson have 22 rebounds last game. We saw her and Ryan Cobbins combined for 34. And if Kerskeeter can't go again, do we see that duo kind of take over on the inside again? But uh, this would be a big one for KU, trying to establish some momentum and really getting the gears going as we head to the uh, final push of the season. You can hear that game on Saturday right here on KLWN pregame 545 tip-off at 6 o'clock. Let's get back to our KU Houston talk, though. On the other side, we've got our KU game picks, Rock Truck, Pick a Hawk. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN, depending on it, or on uh, corner three-point shots. So with Timberlake shooting well on corner three-point shots at about 34.6%, maybe this is a game where he can come in and hit a three or two for you in a short period of time. There is the worry that in a game this important of this magnitude that Bill Self does whittle down the rotation to maybe six guys where it's like, okay, Parker Brown, you're coming in for five minutes. I mean, outside of foul trouble or injury that happens. And then one of El Marco or Timberlake is going to play 15 minutes and the other one's only going to get two minutes till they mess up, right? That could absolutely happen. But I, I will go Timberlake. Maybe this is a game that he can uh, break out of a slump a little bit just because of what you're going to be looking for him to do. But also, he starts 0 for 2 from 3. That's probably it for him. Parker Brown is going to be Nick's next pick. And uh, Parker Brown will be interesting in this game because 
to the idea where KU wants to play Hunter as much as possible, but Houston, as, as physical as they are on the inside, does that mean Hunter could rack up more fouls in a game like this? Uh, I think this could be a tough matchup for Parker Brown, but you know he's been a good floor player to have in Pickahawk so far. His last pick, he'll go with Dewan Harris. Dewan gets a lot of minutes, and in a game like this, I'd imagine that's going to be only more, so it might be tough for him, especially going against Jamal Shedd, who's been arguably the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year to this point in time. Um, but it's going to be, I, I think if you're talking about most important players on the game, most important player matchups, this is it with Dewan Harris. And when you look at Houston, they they have given up basically a ton of their their makes that they do give up are off-assisted passes. Well, maybe that means Dewan Harris can have the ball in a string and have a big impact there. I think this is one of those games where you need Dewan to be very aggressive shooting the three ball. This is one of those games where you're probably not going to get many wide-open looks. A semi-open look, a semi-contested look in this game is basically as good as you're going to get. So this is one of those games where if you're Dewan, even if it's a semi-contested three, just please shoot it because that's going to be as good of a look as you're going to get as as tenacious and ferocious as this Houston defense is. So that'll be Nick's next pick. And then my last one, I'm going to go Jamari McDowell. I think with El Marco, you could be worried that he could play 15 minutes, score two points, one assist, which hurts you a lot in pick a hawk here. I don't know. Maybe Jamari McDowell doesn't even get on the court going back to the idea of the whittled down rotation. That's the risk I'm willing to take. I could also see it, though, because Houston offensively, it's it's not like the most, you know, we're going to run all these sets type of offense. There is a lot of iso ball, a lot of creation, which they're able to do because they have three really good guards who can do just that, which Jamal Shedd, LJ Cryer, Emmanuel Sharp, even off the bench a little bit, you know, Damian Dunn and, and Malik Wilson can do some more of that. Um, but that means that you're basically putting guys on an island. They will hunt certain switches, which KU does switch. There could be a little four or five minute stretch where Bill Self tries to steal away, you know, maybe two, three minutes, a couple possessions with Jamari McDowell out there just to play a little bit of defense and maybe give somebody else a little bit of rest. So I will go with Jamari McDowell, who also has been a pretty decent rebounder for being uh, kind of a backcourt player as my Rock Chalk pick a hawk pick. Okay, KU basketball game picks. Nick is 29, 28, and 1. I am 34, 23, and 1. And we first up have Kansas plus two and a half points. So, Ken Palm actually has Houston winning this game by a handful of points. And I think Houston is the better basketball team. I am also worried that the rebounding, which Houston has been an excellent offensive rebounding team, we've seen that cause Kansas problems at certain times. Like, think back to the Cincinnati game, even though they won it. Houston forces a ton of turnovers. We've seen that cause Kansas problems. Think back to the Marquette game, the TCU game, the uh, UCF game. Those things go in line with the idea this could be problematic for KU. But these are the weird games that Bill Self wins, right? Um, these are the games that um, very much so, you know, Allen Fieldhouse magic happens. And it's almost like a blanket play for me. If you're giving Kansas points in Allen Fieldhouse, I'm just going to take it. And so it's, it's not necessarily that I'm ultra confident that KU is going to win this game because this Houston team is the type of team that can come in Allen Fieldhouse and win because they out-tough you and out-physical you and do all these things. And I could actually see this being like, you know, that that 2019 to 2020 season in which Baylor came in and won in Allen Fieldhouse, but then Kansas got them back on the road. But just in general, I think a safe way to approach it, if Kansas is ever getting points in Allen Fieldhouse with Bill Self, I'm going to roll with it. So that's what me and Nick are both going to do, getting Kansas plus two and a half. The over-under is only 133 and a half. It's not a big number, 
and yet we're both taking under. Houston has only given up 70 points or more to one opponent this season. It was Texas last game, and that was in overtime. They were in the 60s in regulation. If you figure this is going to be a game played in the 60s, you know, it could still go over. It could be 69-67, and that's over. I think it could end up being, you know, 67 to 63 or something like that, 65 to 62. And that would be under. We're going to both take the under there. Uh, prop bets are not out as of yet when we are doing this. But I will say this, Nick is very high on what Johnny Furphy can do. I like that. Maybe get a Furphy points plus rebounds plus assists or a Furphy points if the number is there. Um, I do think that Hunter Dickinson, as much as the natural inclination is going to be, oh, Houston has this great defense, it'll be tough for him. And it will be. I, I do think Hunter Dickinson will be playing a big amount of minutes. Kansas is going to run the offense through him. He can still shoot over the defense. I might take Hunter either over points or the points plus rebounds plus assists in a game like this. And also, Dewan Harris over assists. If it's if it's five and a half or six and a half, I feel comfortable going over that because a lot of what Houston gives up are assisted made field goals. All right, we're going to take a timeout. Bill Self Audio coming up next. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it.